Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast for Grace Lutheran Church. This is the baptism series for readings in Lent in 2017. Our scripture passage for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, the story of the woman at the well. I'm imagining that you are um, sitting somewhere with the scripture in front of you, perhaps on your computer, uh, or a Bible at, open at your desk, or on your tablet or phone, um, or maybe you're driving in the car somewhere and you're just listening along, and all of those options are great for this podcast. We're going to read the story, um, which is kind of long, but uh, it's nice to hear it from beginning to end uninterrupted. And then I'm going to offer some reflections and some things for you to think about. And that's our agenda for today. Uh, the reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. 
But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. That's the end of our reading. And it's quite a lot, I will admit. Um, What is really important about this reading, I think, is to look at it in the context of where it fits in the Gospel of John. Always a good place to start with scripture readings is where are we in the overarching narrative or story? And, you know, the Gospels, as a genre of literature, right, are more like novels than history books. They have plots and foreshadowing, character character development, and all those are things we want to look for. We get more meaning out of the stories when we look for those things. And if, we, if you have a Bible in front of you and you turn back to John chapter 3, the very beginning of that chapter, uh, we get the story of Jesus meeting a man named Nicodemus. Now, It's interesting to look at the story of Jesus and Nicodemus and contrast it with with what is the very next major story in chapter 4, Jesus and the woman at the well. And I want to just run that down real quickly. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a leader of the Jews. He's a religious leader. He's a very important fancy pants person, okay? And he is well respected in his community. He's Uh, Someone who follows the rules, loves the rules, understand that we need rules, okay? You might know people like Nicodemus. Um, And he comes to Jesus, if you see there in chapter 3, at night. It's dark, right? It's a symbol for perhaps the color of their conversation. It's one clouded in mystery and confusion Um, There's not any moments of direct revelation in the story. There are questions that color every aspect of that conversation. Um, He starts with what he knows. Hey, Jesus, we think, you know, you're a leader, you're a teacher. That's what we think. And then Jesus starts to tell him some things. And Nicodemus just ends in total confusion. By the end of the conversation, he blurts out, well, how can these things be? Um, If you look at the setting there, you've got the nighttime, you've got the well-respected leader of Nicodemus, you've got a conversation that hardly makes any sense to him, moments of confusion, and, you know, you leave with an undecided Nicodemus, if you will. And when you uncover uh, those things in this gospel for today, for John 4, you have polar opposites, really. You have the woman at the well, which as you get into the story, you learn that, first of all, she's a woman. 
So that's an outsider in that community, not a well-respected person, wouldn't be allowed to go anywhere near religious teaching. Um, not only that, she's a Samaritan woman. She's an, an outsider of even the culture. Um, she's a Samaritan whom they viewed as you know, less than a person. Um, it's why in Luke's gospel, when we get the story that's well known of the good Samaritan who helps the man in the ditch, we're shocked that it's a Samaritan when you read the story. Um, so she's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and we hear, right, the sordid details of her love life that she's had more husbands than Elizabeth Taylor. So she's a woman clouded in scandal, which, you know, could be many reasons for that. We may not have time to go there. But to be fair, could be many reasons. Uh, she is clouded in scandal regardless because the man she's living with is not her husband. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. So she's nothing like Nicodemus, right? She comes to Jesus uh, not looking for him, but rather trying to get some water, trying to go about her daily life. She is not hunting Jesus out. In fact, Jesus is waiting for her. Very different than Nicodemus. And notice the setting. It is high noon. It is the bright, revealing light of day. And that gives us a clue right away that something in the story is going to be a major revelation. And of course, as we continue to read and hear the story, we get the line where Jesus says in verse 26, I am he, the Messiah. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And in fact, in the whole Gospel of John, this is the first time Jesus reveals this about his identity to anyone, and he reveals it to this woman, this Samaritan, this scandalous person, whom he sought out. Very different and very opposite than Nicodemus. Another uh, interesting contrast here is Nicodemus, the religious scholar, right, can't grasp anything that Jesus is saying, at least not right away, in terms of his conversation. And in fact, Jesus gives him some good religious nuggets to think about, but Look at this long, detailed religious conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well. He has some of the deepest, most meaningful theological conversation about who God is and where we worship, who's included in God's plan. That's the harvesting and reaping and laboring business. We're having that whole conversation with this woman who appears to be with it all through the conversation, right? And by the end... With Nicodemus, we get the feeling that we don't know what's going to happen to him, okay? We don't know if he's going to buy into what Jesus is saying, if the wind is going to blow through him or not, the spirit, the breath of God. But by the end of the story with the woman, she has become such an evangelist that she has gone back to the city of in Samaria and told others, about Jesus and brought them to Jesus. I mean, she is like the model example of all things, right? This woman from Samaria, this scandalous woman, is become the model disciple, the model evangelist for us. It's a very interesting contrast. I think we get a lot out of the story when we look at it that way. You know, and along those lines, when we think about the setting of the woman at the well, She's at a well, okay? And in biblical tradition, of course, in the Old Testament, wells were meeting places for people. I mean, certainly they're places where women primarily would gather to get water for their families. They would share the news of the day. They would gossip. Um, and that's, you know, an important piece here because 
we're wondering if you, we know that about the tradition of even gathering water today in two-thirds of the world, we don't gather it at noon if you can help it. It's hot at noon, right? You'd be there in the morning. You'd be there in the late, late evening if you had to be, but you'd be there in the cool of the day under a little bit of a cover of darkness, if you will, but she's not. She's there by herself, not with other women, in the high heat of the day. And that gives us a clue that maybe because of her scandalous past, she's not really welcome with the other women in the morning, or maybe she's tired of hearing them talk about her. Um, and so she, it's in her isolation, her loneliness, her you know, uh, being relegated to getting water at noon status that Jesus shows up at the well. There's something to think about there in terms of in our lowest, darkest points, um, when we feel that there is no one who understands our situation, no one's going to cut us a break. Those are the moments, at least biblically speaking, when God tends to show up and not in the way we expected. She didn't walk up to that well thinking, oh, this must be the Messiah. She walked up to the well thinking, this man is lost. Okay, he's clearly Jewish. He's in the wrong place. He's not supposed to be in Samaria. What's he doing sitting by a well? Poor guy, right? Or maybe she wasn't even going to talk to him, right? He's the one that starts the conversation and says, give me a drink. And then I think you can feel that she's a little shocked that he's even talking to her because men weren't supposed to address women directly, much less the fact that he's clearly a Jew and she's clearly a Samaritan, you know, and she says, where's your bucket, <laughs> right? The interesting part about the well, though, of all the places that he could have met her, it's interesting that it's a well, because in Old Testament tradition, uh, men and women tend to meet at wells that are about to be betrothed, right? So we have uh, some of the major uh, men of the Bible meeting their wives, or at least their primary wife, right? Of course, they had a different uh, tradition around marriage. Their primary wife, or their love of their life, if you will, at the well. So Abraham meets uh, his second wife, I think it is, at the well. Isaac kind of it works out a deal with someone at a well to uh, be married to Rebecca. And then their son, um, Jacob, meets the, kind of the love of his life, Rachel, at a well. Um, and there are many other uh, side stories uh, to that, too, that that's the tradition of what when the man comes upon a well and there's a group of women kind of picking out one and that ends up being your wife. So here we have the story of Jesus sitting by a well, and a woman walks up, and right there, we should get that feeling of, oh, where is this going, right? This is a little bit scandalous already. We don't know. Now, as the story goes on, of course, that's not where it heads, but it's worth noting that that would have been the tradition, and I wonder myself if that isn't some kind of stand-in for you know, Jesus representing the Jewish people and the woman representing the Samaritan outsiders and how this meeting, this conversation uh, is the beginning of a love affair between two peoples and two nations that we thought would never, ever be able to overcome their differences and reconcile with one another. 
Uh, perhaps this is why Jesus even decides to trek through Samaria when he didn't have to. And you hear later in the story, of course, that the Samaritans come to him in verse 40 and ask him to stay with them. Big deal. And he decides to stay not one, friends, but two days there. I mean, that's significant. And it all began with a conversation at the well. When I brought this story up to a group in the church and mentioned that, they said to me, perhaps we need more wells in places around the world today. Perhaps we do. I'm sure that you could name some of those places where wells might be welcome uh, to start that conversation and that movement together uh, for people that we think will never be able to overcome differences and find peace with each other. Uh, Some other things that I would like to uh, point out about the reading is In the Gospel of John, Jesus' speeches often contain words uh, with double meanings. And since we don't really speak Greek on a regular basis, we often miss those double meanings in our English translations. When you um, have a chance to look at that John 3 passage with Nicodemus, you'll see um, the line where Jesus says, you have to be born again. And, of course, Nicodemus says, what do you want me to do, crawl back in my mother's womb? This is not realistic. Um, And that born again, of course, that becomes a very famous phrase that some churches will pick up later and use even today when they perhaps come knocking at your door and asking you if you are born again. That's one of the lines where they have borrowed that phrase. Um, In the Greek, that, that that is a word that can also mean born anew. So the translation uh, could say born again. It might say that in your version of your Bible, and that's not wrong, but it can also mean born anew. And doesn't that have a little bit of a different connotation? It starts to get more complex than just, I'm going to be rebirthed through my mother's womb. In fact, that's not what Jesus means. He does mean a rebirthing of some kind, but not as before, but rather as a new creation And we get that with that next sentence, in water and the spirit. So he gives us a little bit more after the point of confusion. And we have the same thing happen in our story with the woman at the well. Verse 11, the woman says, hey, you know, I don't understand about this living water because you don't have a bucket, right? And in fact, in verse 10, when Jesus says, oh, he would have given you living water, that That word can mean running water, like water at a spring, running water, right? Like you would need a bucket for. And it can also mean life-giving water, which, boy, does that have a different connotation. Life-giving water or running water. And it's both. You know, it's really both, but it's, it's so much more complex than just the running water that she hears that you need a bucket for. And so we get that additional sentence, then Jesus gives her a little bit more. Oh, we're not talking about the the running water that you drink and you'll be thirsty again, but rather uh, the spring of water that gushes up to eternal life. Ah, there it is. Now we have a sense of what is life giving about the water that he is offering. It is the way to eternal life. It is the sustenance of eternal life. And then we have uh, a little bit more conversation about that. 
you know, it appears that Jesus changes the subject abruptly, right? When he says, hey, go call your husband and come back. And then we go kind of down this spiral of her past husbands. And you think, what is this about? It's interesting to think about those uh, points of the conversation and how they might actually relate to the conversation about life-giving water and eternal life. Um, it's interesting that he reveals to her over water, over the well, you know, her whole identity, right? At least what has shaped her, what she has thought her identity was, was those five husbands and the man who is not her husband. And, you know, society would have taught her that that was indeed her only identity, that she was a woman who was worth nothing, that she was an outsider, and that she couldn't even live up to the religious code of having a husband who wanted her. But then Jesus says something that I think is the most important part of the whole passage, where he reveals to her his identity, right? He says, I am he, in verse 26. Now, the Greek there is, I am. The he is just added on to our nice English sentence. No, the Greek there is, I am. Of course, we hearken back to the God of Moses, who says, this is my name. I am who I am, or translated, I will be who I will be. But that holy name for God of the Old Testament, that is what we hear come out of Jesus' mouth. When he reveals to the woman, this is who I am. And from that point on, right, it's as if her identity, her way of defining herself no longer matters. What matters is the I am has chosen to sit by your well and offer you life-giving water. And that so changes the woman. It so changes her that she is willing to go back into the village and speak to the people that she thought she would never have the courage to speak through, to speak to the people who, you know, ostracized her, who she couldn't uh, look in the face. She has the boldness, the audacity, and the courage to face them having met the Messiah and having been offered this life-giving water because I think it changed the way she thinks about herself. It changed her identity that in fact the way she saw herself as less than no longer mattered. What mattered was the holy of holies saw her, had a long conversation with her. In fact, the longest conversation Jesus has with anybody in all of scripture, by the way, saw her, had a conversation with her and said, hey, what matters here is I have the life-giving water. I'm offering it to you. And I am. You know, when we hear those words spoken to us over our baptism, we say them sometimes in different ways. Sometimes we hear the words, I have called you by name and you are mine. Right? Also a biblical passage. Uh, that we often use in baptism or to remember our baptism. Um, or sometimes we hear in our baptism, Jesus uh, calling us a different name than our own name that we call ourselves, calling us beloved child of God, that you are 
a child of the I am. You, your identity, the one that really matters, is the one that is tied up with the holy of holies, the one who is the keeper of the life-giving water, as we sometimes say, the one who is the source, the water, and the wellspring of this life and the life to come. And knowing that in our baptism, I wonder if that doesn't make us want to run and say, hey, come and see. Come and see this man who told me everything I've ever done. Come and see the gift of grace that is offered for even me, even everyone we have ever met. Come and see the man who would sit by a well just to begin a long journey toward peace with people we think will never, ever get there. This is a God that will not give up on that. This is a God that will not give up on even the woman at the well in Samaria who's had five husbands, and the man she is living with is not her husband. So surely this is a man, a Messiah, an I am, who will not give up, friends, on us or on this world. Thanks be to God. With that good news in mind and all that we have learned about this woman at the well, I want to challenge you this week that as you are going about your regular activities, as you are going to the well um, at your regular appointed time, if you will, as you are doing your daily chores, activities, regular business meetings, um, routine email checking, driving kids to soccer practice, whatever it is that is your drawing of water, if you will, as you are going about that regular activity, I challenge you to look for something unexpected that crosses your path, that is an interruption to your day, that could even at first glance be considered annoying. And maybe it's something that comes across your email or um, something that crosses your path and you, like the woman, you engage it, you sit with it, you think about it longer than you would normally, you even maybe pray about it. Or maybe it's a person that crosses your path that is an interruption to your schedule and it's tempting to just want to get on with the drawing of the water, get back to the village, back to your routine and what you had thought you were going to accomplish today. But I challenge you to be like the woman and have dialogue with that person. Engage that person in conversation in a way that you would not normally. And I wonder if those interruptions, if among those, might be God at work. Might be God come down to sit beside a well for you. That in the midst of your crazy week, uh, you're feeling like you are all alone in the village by yourself, though you're surrounded by people every day. I wonder if in all of that, this could be a moment when God has come to sit beside your well and reassure you that you are not forgotten, that you are important, and that God cares for you, the I am 
cares for you. I just wonder if that could be it. Thanks for listening. Next time we will take up the story of the man born blind from the Gospel of John chapter 9. To learn more about our church and what we're up to, visit us at gracecamphill.org. Thank you.